Hello and welcome to This Is Your FBI from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This Is Your FBI. This Is Your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. Today, representatives of the Equitable Life Assurance Society have been busy ringing people on the phone, telling their friends about the important announcement that is coming on this program tonight. How are you tonight, Earl? Why, hello. I'm fine. Well, Earl, I just called up to tell you that the Equitable Society has some good news in the middle commercial of This Is Your FBI. Equitable has just put out a new and enlarged edition of their famous fact-finding charts for fathers and mothers. If you listen to that middle commercial, you'll find out how to get a copy of the new fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Published by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Tonight's FBI file, The Round Trip Murder. the decent, law-abiding citizen, all criminals fall into the same category, a contemptible, greed-infested mob of corrupt, immoral thieves about whom the police should do something. But to the criminals, other criminals are divided into sharp and distinct classes. For some, he has only the loathing disdain that everyone else feels. They are the dregs of that distorted social order people used to call the underworld. For others, he has some regard, because they make their illicit living in the same manner he does, and he watches them to see whether there is anything he can learn about the business of crime. His regard for them ends when they are apprehended by the police, for that to him indicates that they were clumsy, and he cannot forgive clumsiness. But there is one criminal to whom all others look with respect, even after he is caught and convicted, because he is the white-collar worker among the criminals. His is the crime they aspire to commit. He is the swindler. opens in the first-class cabin of an American transatlantic liner. The cabin is occupied by a tall, mustached gentleman who is obviously enjoying the luxury of the trip, and there is a knock at the door. Come in. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Stancy. Shall I mix your drink, sir? Yes, please. Say one on the soda. Okay. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Uh, I packed your bags this afternoon, sir. So I know. Thank you, sir. Will there be anything else? Not right now. 
It's been a fine trip, hasn't it? Yes. I guess you're anxious to get home again, eh, Mr. Lemoyne? What? Oh, oh, yes. Very anxious. That's what I always say. You never know how much you miss the good old USA until you take a trip like this. Now, that's true. I uh, packed your bags before any of the others. Thank you, sir. I did it for a special reason. Oh? What was that? I was looking for something. What? I was looking for your passport. Well, I admire your frankness. And I admire your courage. What are you talking about? I found the passport. It told me what I wanted to know. What is this? Your passport is in the name of George Lemoyne. That's right. A man named George Lemoyne was a passenger on this ship about two months ago. I was his steward. And this is his passport, not yours. Look, I've heard enough of this. I'm only beginning... Get out of here. And go to the captain? He'd be real interested in this, you know. Shall I see him? What do you want? Money. How much? Enough to make me forget. Name a figure. Well, suppose you tell me what your angle is, and I'll know how much... The angle, angle is my business. How about a thousand? Pounds or dollars? Dollars. Not enough. That's as far as I can go. Make it five. I haven't got five. Split the difference. Twenty-five hundred. That's right. Yeah, get me my traveler's checks. Where are they? You know where they are. You can throw my luggage. Oh, yeah. They were in this bag. And that's where they're going to stay. The next morning in the local FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor is seated at his desk when Agent Pascal approaches. Oh, hello, Dig. Hello, Jim. When did you get back in town? Last night. Huh? I just handed in my report, and the boss asked me to check with you. What's this one about? Well, we got an inquiry from Scotland Yard in the mail. What kind of a crime? A man was murdered in London. They couldn't find any identification in his room or in his bag. Oh? But they found an American flag tattooed on his left arm and the letters USN tattooed underneath the flag. Sounds like an Navy man. Yes, he was. I had the prints checked in the service files and turned out to be a veteran named George Lemoyne. Have you notified Scotland Yard yet? Yes. Boss cabled him as soon as I then gave us the report. What's the case, then? We got another cable back from them telling us that some other prints were found in Lemoyne's room. Do they know whose prints they are? No, they checked through their files and they didn't have them, so they're sending them along to us, airmail. Well, they should be in tomorrow morning, then. Mm-hmm, that's right. Who was George Lemoyne, Jim? Well, as far as I can gather, Dick, he was a legitimate businessman. Well, he couldn't have been very old if he was a veteran. No, no, he was 36. He'd done a four-year hitch in the Navy, had a very good war record. What was he doing in England? Apparently, he went over there on business. What kind of business was he in? Men's clothes. From what I can gather, he went to England to make a deal for some British women. I see. He'd been stationed there during the war for a while, and I imagine he'd made himself some friends. Any obvious motive for his murder? None that we can find over here, or that Scotland Yard can find over there. Well, he wouldn't be carrying any large amount of cash on a business trip. No, he'd arranged for credit with a bank over here for his purchases. You think there's anything we can do until we get those other prints in the mail? I don't know, Dick. But let's go out and see if there's anything else we can find out about Lemoyne. Nobody gets murdered without a motive. If we can find that, maybe it can help find the killer.
Come in. Hello, Danny. Charlie. Charlie Norwood. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll be... Well, what are you doing here? Came to see you. I, I mean, what are you doing in this country? Where'd you get back? I just got off the boat this morning. No, but I thought... I heard you in a jug in Paris for a real long stretch. I was. But there are ways of getting out of those places, then. Oh, sure, sure. Well, you look like you've been doing fine. I've been breaking even. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, why'd you come back, Johnny? I want to see somebody. Who? Eloise. Oh, oh, well, have you seen her? No, I can't find her. Have you seen her, Danny? No, Johnny, no. I haven't laid eyes on her since she went away. She's got all my dough. She was supposed to send it to me. You sure you ain't seen her? Oh, Charlie. Would I lie to you? I didn't say you were lying. I'll try someplace else. Come on, Danny. We had on George Lemoyne. Oh, did you find anything? No. It's an apartment house, and apparently Lemoyne took only those clothes he'd need on the trip. Mm-hmm. Dick, was he married? No, he lived alone. Oh, I got a call while you were out. I had to go over to Pier 38. On this case? Mm-hmm. Seems that there was a steward on the ship that came in from England this morning who had been assaulted and left in a closet in one of the cabins. Whose cabin was it? According to the passenger list, it was George Lemoyne's. What? Mm-hmm. I guess whoever murdered Lemoyne stole his passport and then booked passage immediately. Did you get any description of the man who called himself Lemoyne? Yes, but it wasn't too good. When was the steward attacked? Right before the ship landed. That makes it a crime on the high seas. That's right, Dick. It's our jurisdiction. Were there, um, were there any prints in the cabin? Yes, there were a couple on the highball glass. And, well, then there were some others scattered around the cabin. No ident on them? Not yet. I sent them through as soon as I got back. How about those prints that Scotland Yard was there mailing? They come in? Yes, I sent them along at the same time. Did you uh, get to talk to the steward? Mm-hmm. He had just come to when I got to the boat. What was his story? Well, he said that he delivered a highball to Mr. Lemoyne's cabin, and that Lemoyne hit him on the head. He doesn't remember anything after that. Who is the steward? What's his name? Alvin Spencer. Oh, I've checked. He has no criminal record. But why would the murderer, and I assume that's who was using the passport, want to knock out the steward? Well, it's barely possible that Spencer found out that he wasn't Lemoyne. That's true. Spencer says, incidentally, that he had no conversation with the passenger at all. Oh, that's a little hard to believe, Jim. Yeah. You know, Dick, I think maybe we'd better keep an eye on Spencer. Sounds like a good idea. Meantime, we'll just wait for that report from my dent. It should tell us who Mr. Lemoyne's killer was. Norwood? What other Charlie would be bad news? But he's supposed to be in Paris. Yeah, he's right here. His boat docked this morning. But I thought he was in jail over there. He must have busted out. Oh. You think he knows anything? Not sure. He didn't say anything. He just asked me where you were. What did you tell him? Told him I didn't know. Look, are you all packed? No, I I, I sent for my bags about ten minutes ago, but I didn't think we were going to go away until tonight. That was when we were gone for a weekend. We better go for good. Where we go? I don't know, but any place will do. Any place but here. Whatever you say. Okay. Get 
Would you stop, Frank? I'll pick you up in about an hour. I'll come up when uh, I... Hold it a second, honey. Uh, just a minute. Uh, the boy's at the door in the other room with my bag. Uh, I'll see you in an hour. Okay. Goodbye, baby. Goodbye. Come in. It's open. Is that the boy with the bag? Uh-huh. Oh, oh, well, thanks. Uh, just put them down. Uh, and is it is it still raining out? Yep. Mm. Think I'll be able to get a cab? Yeah. Uh, I'll need one in about an hour. Where are you going? Charlie. We will return in just a moment to tonight's file which shows how your FBI promotes security for the nation. Now let's bring this question of security closer to home. Earl, you're a regular listener to this program. You've heard me mention the Equitable Society's new fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Why, yes. Uh, Just last week I was telling my wife we ought to get one of those fact-finding charts for fathers and mothers and see what it's all about. Well, Earl, it's made to order for a man in your situation. Like millions of other fathers, you've probably worried over the thought of what would happen to your wife and children if you should die. What income would they need to keep well-fed, well-housed, and well-clothed? Where's that income coming from? Mr. Keating, as many a night I've lain awake thinking just that. Well, after you get this equitable society chart, you can forget those worries. In five minutes flat, this fact-finding chart shows you how much money your family would need. Look, you're guided every step of the way by easy-to-understand pictures, which illustrate the rock-bottom expenses your family will have to meet. And when you're finished, you'll have a clear, accurate, and complete picture of just what income your family would need during the critical years. Now, what years are they, Miss Keating? The critical years are the ones before your youngest child finishes high school. Years during which the home must have a minimum income to keep it together. Yes, yes, I get you. Uh, Where can I buy one of these fact-finding charts? You don't buy it. It's free. The Equitable Society representative in your community will be glad to bring you a copy. Sit down with him, you and your wife together. There's no obligation. And get a true picture of where you stand. Phone him tomorrow to bring you an equitable fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Or send a postcard, care of this ABC station, to the Equitable Society. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file, The Round Trip Murder. Tonight's case from the files of your FBI amply illustrates one important fact about the behavior of criminals, and that is that they are prepared, once they have committed their first crime, to stop at nothing in their effort to live the easy life. The accompanying fact that they must be stopped before it is too late is obvious to anyone who has made a study of the figures in our current crime wave. A large western city, in a period of one week this month, January 1948, saw 976 crimes committed. Crimes which ranged from auto theft to kidnapping and murder. It is not impossible to stop the crime wave. One Midwestern city, for instance, imprisoned more people in the past year than it had in any of the past 20 years. But that is only a start in the war on crime. A war which cannot be fought exclusively by your local police or by your FBI. 
This is a war in which you are involved, because you are the criminal's victim, and the only way in which it will be won is with your incessant, painstaking cooperation. Tonight's file continues in the FBI field office. Here are some reports for you, Jim. Oh, thanks, Dick. I think these are just what we've been waiting for. Let's hope so. Yeah, here, Dick. Take a look at this. What? The prints I found on the cabin on the boat and the prints that Scotland Yard sent us match up. Who's are they? Charles Norwood. I remember him. Yeah, they sent his record along with the prints, too. He's received quite a lot of publicity in the course of his career. He should have. Here, look at the jobs he's done. See He's just about the cleverest swindler in the business. Hmm. Forty thousand, sixty thousand. He certainly doesn't swindle anyone for peanuts. No. But somehow I thought he was still in jail. Yeah, so did I. But according to this record, he was released several months ago. Then he immediately went to Europe. Oh? There's a notice here from the French police that he was picked up on a swindling charge in Paris, sentenced to a long prison term there. He must have gotten out of that somehow. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he went to London and killed Lemoyne. That seems to be it. Dick, we've got a picture of Norwood in our files. It's on a wanted notice that we sent out on him. I remember it. Why don't you get it and go down and see the steward? Find out if he recognizes Norwood as the man who slugged him. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm going to send out some feelers and see if I can locate anybody else who's seen Norwood. I'll meet you back here at the office in an hour. Surprised to see me, Eloise? Yes, Charlie. You figured I'd stay overseas, huh? Well, I... I didn't know. When did you get back? Early this morning. I've been looking for you ever since. I went to three different places. You left no forwarding address. Well, you found me now. That's all that matters. Come here, honey. Well? Let me hold you. Oh, you don't know how much I've missed you. How much I've missed holding you like this. I saw Danny this afternoon. Danny who? Danny Phillips. Oh? Where'd you run into him? At the place where he's always lived. I went there to get your address. Oh? Oh. I haven't seen Danny in months. Quit liar. Get the whole rundown on you two. You've been going around with him ever since I left. I thought so. I saw your picture in his room. I don't know where he got it, Charlie. You gave it to him. I saw the autograph. But you don't know. I know plenty. In fact, I know that Danny Boy's on his way over here right now to meet you. Who told you that? I was outside your door when he called you. He never called me. Stop lying, I said. I know he called you. And I'm going to wait right here for him to show up. What's the matter, Dick? You look kind of done. I am, Jim. I can't make any theory stand up in this case. Why? What's wrong now? I just came back from seeing the steward, and he positively identified the picture of Norwood as being the man who slugged him. Well, at least we know that much for certain now. Yes, but I also checked on the steward, and he's in the clear. If he's hiding anything, he's hiding it very well. Well, I think our job in this case is clear enough, though, Dick. All we've got to do is find a girl named Eloise. How does she fit in? Well, I've been doing some work myself while you were checking on the steward, who is Eloise? Norwood's old girlfriend. Her name at one time was Eloise Williams. What do you mean, at one time? Well, I found the cab driver Norwood used when he left the pier after the boat landed. Where did he take him? Two or three different rooming houses. Norwood isn't the kind to of stop at a rooming house, is he, Jim? No. No, he was looking for this Eloise. 
She used a different last name at each place. He had a picture of her, and the landlady at each of the three places said that she had lived there, but had moved. What happened to the third place? Why did he stop there? He came to a dead end. The third landlady had no forwarding address. She's probably using still another last name now. Yeah, I would assume so. You know, I'm afraid it's going to be difficult to find her. Have you sent out any alarm? Yes, I asked the local police to check rooming houses and hotels. But I'm afraid we won't have time enough for them to check all of them. Why? Dick Norwood committed that murder because he wanted to get back here for something. And I don't think he's going to wait too long to get what he came for. Where did the cab driver take him after the third rooming house, Jim? To, uh... Let's see, where is it? Oh, here it is. To 73rd Street and 2nd Avenue. He says he drove away without saying which building he entered. Oh, there are a lot of apartment houses around there. I know, but I found one on 73rd Street that might do us some good. Which one is that? Well, according to his record, the last time Norwood was arrested, the arrest was made at the apartment of a friend of his named Danny Phillips. I called the superintendent of the building, but he was out. He'll be back in about 15 minutes. Well, why don't we run up there and talk to him? Fine. But first, let's pick up a search warrant for Phillips' apartment. That must be your friend, Danny. Well, go let him in. Charlie, you're not going to... Let him in, I said. Very well. Hello, honey. Come in, Danny. I got here as soon as I... Hi, Danny. Charlie, we've been waiting for you. You... You found her, huh? Stopped at routines. I know the score. Look, Charlie, I can explain. You don't have to. You're welcome to her. I don't want any part of it. You mean... You're not sore? I just came here for one thing. Eloise, I gave you 45 G's when I left. Where is it? I haven't got it. Now, don't give me that. You spent it, Charlie. I didn't think you'd come back, so I spent it. You didn't spend 45 G's. Not living in cheap rooming houses. Yes, I did, Charlie. I'm... Danny, if I were you, I'd advise her to tell the truth. It'd come out a lot better for both of you. But, Charlie, she I got a gun here, kid. Wouldn't bother me a bit to use it. Eloise, you better level with him. How much you got left? About 25000 Where is it? In the hotel safe downstairs. They call and have him send it up. All of it? Do like he says, honey. Danny, we won't have any money to get married on. Just get that dough up here. <laughs> Danny Phillips lives in apartment 417, Dick. It should be down this way. Did you get the key from the superintendent, Jim? Uh-huh. By the way, I learned just before we left the office that the loot on Norwood's last job never turned up. What? Obviously, that's what he came back to this country for. Yes, must be. Oh, here we are. Does it? Come on, Dick. Right. We just had this one room. Let's take a look around, huh? Mm. Uh, did you say that the superintendent definitely identified Norwood's picture? Yeah, she was standing in front of the building this morning when Norwood came in. Anything on the desk, Dick? Mm, just some unpaid bills. You know, it's too bad to have a self-service elevator in the building, here. Eh? Why? I'd like to know how long Norwood stayed here. It would also be a help to know where Danny Phillips is now. Yeah. Yeah, he could give it. Hey, wait a minute. What is it, Jim? All right, Dick, look at this. What? 
It's a photograph of a girl. It's signed to Danny with all my love. Eloise. That's the name of the girl that Norwood was looking That's for. That's it. But it's autographed to Danny Phillips, and very affectionately, too. Dick, this is beginning to piece itself together. Come on, we got some work to do. <laughs> Taking this hotel for somebody to come up here with a package. How do I know? You heard her make the call, Charlie. What more do you want? I want that dough. They said they were going to send it up. Oh, that must be someone with the money. Oh, wait a minute. Well? I'm putting this gun away. Remember, it's right here in my pocket. Now open the door. West? Yes? I asked Mr. Dust to bring this package up here. Oh, come in. Thank you. Let me have that package. I was told to deliver it to Miss West. I have something else for you, Norwood. She's got a gun. Who is this guy? I never saw him before in my life. She's telling the truth, Norwood. I'm a special agent of the FBI. Huh? I came here to bring you all back to our office. Now, come on. I think we have a good many things to talk over. Charles Norwood was extradited to England to be tried for murder. His erstwhile confederate, Danny Phillips, and the woman called Eloise, received a sentence of five years each in federal prison for a violation of the National Stolen Property Act. And so, by tireless, sometimes apparently fruitless investigation, your FBI was able to apprehend a dangerous criminal who was wanted by the police of two continents. The clue which led the two special agents to the apartment hotel where Miss Williams was residing was a photograph of her which they found while searching Danny Phillips' apartment. Because her dress was cut to conform to the current new look, your FBI knew that it was a recent photograph, and a check at the photographer's gave them Miss Williams' current name and address. Tonight's file is another example of the swift execution of detail that has won for the Federal Bureau of Investigation the enviable international reputation it now holds. A reputation as an arm of justice which is intolerant of only one thing, the freedom of criminals. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the official files of your FBI. Now, Earl, I understand you have one more question about the Equitable Society's fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Oh, yes, Mr. Kading, it's this. If I ask my Equitable Society representative for a copy of this chart, does that obligate me in any way? Absolutely not, Earl. This chart was originally planned as a special service for members of the Equitable Life Assurance Society. Then it was extended to the audience of this program. It's free, regardless of whether you belong to the Equitable Society or not. Your Equitable Society representative will be glad to supply you with a chart. What you do after that is strictly your own business. So make a note to phone your Equitable Society representative soon. Or send a postcard, care of this ABC station, to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A factual account of a criminal who sought escape by means of altering his appearance. Its subject, flight to avoid prosecution. Its title, The Plastic Profile. 
The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. And inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Plastic Profile on This Is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.